was murdered because of their belief in Jesus. And it happens all over the world. As a matter of fact, I, I mean, we don't have exact statistics, but it's been said that in the last 50 years, there have been more who have died because of their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ than in the last 300 years combined. There are people all across our world who are dying merely because they have a hope in Jesus Christ. And the gospel has taken root in their lives. And the truth of the matter is, many of those nations are primarily Muslim. We live in a time where it's politically incorrect to say such a thing or or point out that truth. And I'm certainly not trying to attack every Muslim. That's not the point. But those, there's a term I heard, it's called Sharia sovereignty. Who believe in Sharia law, which states if you are not a Muslim, a practicing Muslim, you are an infidel and you deserve to die. Matter of fact, remember just recently in Egypt, the bus of people who were headed to a monastery to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I want to take, this is just a, a moment from, uh, I take, took some excerpts from a news article that I pulled up. Uh, it says, as many as ten attackers and three SUVs stormed the bus dressed in military uniforms and wearing masks before demanding that the passengers recite the Muslim profession of faith according to witnesses. Then the gunman opened fire. Some 22 people were wounded. Only three children survived the attack. The Cops United News Portal reported. The victims were on their way to visit a monastery to pray. Among the waves of recent attacks on Egypt's Christians, twin suicide bombings on Palm Sunday in April, and another attack in December on a Cairo church caught on video. ISIS in Egypt claimed responsibility For these attacks. Remember what Jesus said to his followers? If anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. And guys, he was not talking about a cross that hangs on a gold chain that you wear around your neck. Or maybe on the mirror in your car. He was not talking about a cross that you wear on a t-shirt He was not referring merely to the difficulties of life as being a cross. He was talking about that your very life may be at stake because you choose to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe that's not our experience here in America as we think about this day and those soldiers who died because they believed in a cause of this land. But there are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ across our world who have placed their confidence in Jesus. And as a result of that, they have lost their lives. Maybe in our culture we could refer to it, take up your electric chair. Or maybe we could say, take up your hangman's noose. Or maybe as we have seen in some violent news clips, take up your razor sharp machete and bow to your knees. As we look this morning, we are going to look at those who 
lost their lives for their belief in Christ. Matter of fact, our Lord himself in John 16, 2, he basically said there's going to come an hour. There will be a time where there are those who believe they are doing God a favor by killing people belonging to Jesus. Christians. And as we look at our study in the book of Revelation, what is unfolded in this book of Revelation is that there is going to be a time of suffering in the future and what certainly appears like maybe near future of those who follow Jesus who will lose their lives because of their faith in Him. Matter of fact, uh, turn over me to the next chapter, chapter 7, verse 9. And um, as we read that text, it, he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Talking about martyrs. They, they were beyond counting. There, there was a great multitude of people who had stayed faithful before the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've gone through these four riders, we had a white horse that signified a counterfeit peace that will come, a red horse that spoke of global unrest and bloodshed, a black horse that referred to famine, and then a pale green horse that spoke of pestilence where a quarter of the population of the world will die because of disease that will appear as this opens. Matter of fact, the book of Revelation gets its name. Because of the disclosure of God's truth. The revelation that will appear. The suffering and the judgment. And this morning we're going to look at the fifth seal. And I want to look at six questions here. As we go down through the scripture. The first is. And who are these people? Let's look again at verse 9 of our text. When he opened the fifth seal. I saw under the altar. The souls of those who had been slain. Because. Of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. It is a time where God's people, they've left the planet. They've met the Lord in the air. The, the testimony of the church has left. It is a time where the Holy Spirit is not at work in the lives of this great multitude of people, the church. And it is a time of great suffering for those who would turn their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was great pain that would occur through that. And this is referring to those believers. Secondly, what exactly are these people? Uh, notice in verse 9, they're referred to as souls. The souls of those. It almost sounds kind of mystical. Like, well, are they kind of floating like a ghost? Ooh. You know, is that is that what the reference is to? Well, turn over a couple of chapters. Chapter 12, verse 11. And in that text, it says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. It could be translated lives as well as souls that is used here. In other words, these are real life people who gave their lives. Not This is not some mystical explanation of spirits or, or ghosts. 
that are shared here. Remember as Jesus told the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And how Lazarus was a beggar and he suffered and the rich man ignored him. He did not look to his needs. And then when death occurred for both men, the man who was rich and did not care about anybody but himself, he was suffering. And the man who had suffered in this life, who was a beggar, he was in glory. He was in heaven. And it's interesting here because as it talks about Lazarus and this rich man, there's a description of just a finger to get a drop of water to be cooled. Well, to have a finger to touch something, you have to have a body. And so there is a picture here is, is they have some kind of intermediate body, not the final resurrection body, but a body that still served that purpose until the time of God's final judgment. You have to have a body to put a robe on. There's a robe that is mentioned in our text. And it is a robe that is a long flowing robe. And and graduates, it, it speaks of those who have certainly received something that they have earned. And this earning was not in their strength. It was obviously because of their complete trust, even unto death, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they received this glorious robe to wear. All right, thirdly, where are these martyrs? Uh, where... Where? Where were they martyred? Um, notice what it says here in 6 verse uh, 9. It says, um, I saw under the altar. So, what is this a picture of? They have some big altar and all these people are scrunched together, hiding under it for safety purposes. Is that what it's talking about? Well, the reference here is not referring so much to hiding underneath an object such as a physical altar, but it is a picture of relationship. It is a picture that they are hiding under the ultimate sacrifice to which they trust. In other words, they are covered by the work of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, by the sacrifice of Jesus, by the cross. That's what they're talking about. I love Colossians 3.3. Always said it says in Colossians three three, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, when that old devil comes after us, when we start having our doubts, and when we feel totally inadequate, of course we are inadequate, duh, and all of that stuff. You know what we can do? We can say, when the Father looks at me, He doesn't see inadequate me he sees jesus and why does he see jesus because i'm hidden with christ in god and that is the picture here they are hidden with christ in god (laughs) under the altar of the perfect work of jesus all right fourthly which altar specifically that was mentioned here what reference well It's a reference of the Old Testament, a golden altar of incense. And it was the altar of incense that was referenced to prayer. Ultimately, it's talking about those prayers that are moving 
toward the heavens, toward God Himself. And, you know, that, that, that's significant. Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4, it talks about the incense given to the angels so He might add it to the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, it's the prayers of the saints that went up before God. Now, fifth, why exactly were these people killed? Why did they lose their lives? Well, look back here again at verse 9. They've been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Man, they were placing everything upon the truth of God's truth. And they lived it out. They didn't just talk about it. They lived it. And because of that, they ultimately lost their lives, but they gained life. Everlasting life as a result of that. Um, I discovered as I prepared for this message uh, in one of the works of a little book by a guy named D.A. Carson whose father, Tom Carson, was a pastor of a church in Canada back in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Just a little church. Uh, most church ever had was uh, like 32 people. But what was interesting, and as he talked about the struggles of being a missionary in Canada, was that the average pastor of a church in Canada served a prison sentence of eight years. Back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Why? Because of the gospel. Sharing the gospel. He ended up in prison for being faithful to the truth that they shared. I, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to fathom people who are different than us end up being placed in jail. How could such a hatred come from someone who has different beliefs and a, a different message? And It's got to be stray, as a friend of mine says, from the pit of hell and smells like sulfur. You know? It, it, it is a work of the devil as he wants to separate people and tear them apart. And he's going to get madder and madder depending upon who the people are. And the people he hates the most are the people who have heard the gospel and responded. That's the work. That's the atrocities. Adolf Eichmann, a Nazi leader under Hitler, once the war was over, he gave this testimony. He said, I shall leap in my grave for the thought that I have five million lives on my conscience. It is to me a source of inordinate satisfaction. Hard to grasp. Number six. Lastly, what are these people saying? Look at verse 10 here. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? They're in heaven, but have an audience before God. But they still long for retribution. And you say, well, that doesn't sound real Christian. Matter of fact, here in the Psalms, we see this honesty 
as a result of suffering. Psalm 79.10, it says in that verse, Avenge the blood of your saints. Well, preacher, is that a godly prayer? And then David prayed in Psalm 94, O Lord, the God who avenges, O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long will the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked be jubilant? They crush your people, Lord, and oppress your inheritance. And then the chapter ends in in Psalm 94. God will repay them for their sins. The Lord our God will destroy them for their wickedness. Matter of fact, look at, turn me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in the New Testament. As there is a, certainly a description in regard to suffering and judgment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, um, in verses 6 through 9, we, we read about what will happen for those who reject. The message of the gospel. Verse 70. Or I'll start at verse 6. He says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. And give relief to you who are troubled. And to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire. With his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God. And do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. And shut out from the presence of the Lord. And from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. And to be marveled at among those who have believed. Wow. We live in a day where hell is in very few pulpits. Everlasting judgment is not mentioned. Now we have these outlines of how to live a better life. How to be the best you. How to have good self-esteem. The esteem we need is the esteem that comes from the right relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, this is a testimony from one of the early church fathers 65 years after the writing of the book of Revelation, the recording of it through the Apostle John. And here's what he wrote to unbelievers of his day. You are fond of spectacles, referring to the arena where Christians were publicly killed. Expect the greatest of all spectacles, the last and eternal judgment of the universe. How shall I admire, how shall I rejoice when I behold so many proud monarchs and fancied gods groaning in the lowest abyss of darkness, so many magistrates who persecuted the name of the Lord, liquefying in fiercer flames than they ever kindled against the Christians. So many philosophers blushing in red-hot flames with their deluded scholars. So many celebrated poets trembling before the tribunal of Christ. Man, it's all not all sweet. Pet your puppy. Get a hug. But get right with God. The scriptures are are clear about these issues. Uh, Matter of fact, in verse 11... Back to our original text of Revelation chapter 6. It says, Then each of them was given a white horse, and they were told to wait a little longer. In verse 10, it says, They called out in a loud voice. 
that is not talking about over and over again. They repeated a prayer. It talks about a one-time event where they called out to the Lord and they cried out to Him in a concerted effort before God Almighty. They said, how long? How long, Lord? How long will it be? People who were mistreated, People who were not given the dignity and the respect. I mean, everybody deserves dignity and respect. But no one greater than those who turn to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And what awaits them is the respect that they did not receive here. And as they wore these gowns, they were gowns of dignity. They were gowns of being precious to God Himself. It is a picture of stateliness before God. But they're told, you should wait a little while longer. Until the number of the fellow servants, the brothers to be killed as they had been, would be completed. In other words, he's saying, I am not finished. History is not wrapped up. Just because judgment hasn't come yet, it will come. Now, I want to make some observations here. I don't even have any outline, but just make some notes of these that we see from our scripture quickly here. It says, first... God not only knows about those who have suffered and died, even more will die. Notice how he closes verse 11 here. He talks about the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. So there are more deaths to come. Secondly, the second observation is Evidently, God's will for many to die peacefully in their faith and also for millions of others to die violently for their faith. There are those who will die before God's final judgment. Some will face great persecution. Some will not. But death will occur for those in Christ. But evidently here it says, till it's fulfilled, there is an exact number. There is a completion to this. In other words... No death is by accident. God knows about it. God is in charge even when we don't understand it. Now, I want to look quickly at some misconceptions here. The first misconceptions, being in heaven means we will never ask questions. We will know everything. Well, look at verse 10. How long are you going to wait? Basically, Lord, when are you going to judge? They had a question. Even in heaven, we will not be totally omniscient. We will not totally know everything. We will still learn because God is the only one who knows everything, not you and me. Secondly, another misconception about heaven is that we will have forgotten what happened to us on earth. Well, that won't matter anymore. (laughs) Well, I want you to notice in our text... They remembered, they remembered how they died, how they lost their lives. Somehow there is an idea that the unpleasant things will be stripped from us and we'll have this happiness that puts aside all of the past hurt and that will be completely erased from our memory. And yet 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, 
whether good or bad. So there will be this judgment. And through the help of Christ, we will remember our lives as we stand before Christ. John writes in Revelation 19, 7 and 8, there'll be a new heaven, there'll be a, a new earth, and there will be clothes we will wear that will be a testimony of our lives and the deeds that we performed that brought glory to God here. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, that he's running in such a way to get a prize. He's running the race of the faith. You see, the joy of heaven is not ruined by remembering. The joy of heaven is in a reformed, perfected, sinless perspective. It is discovering the depth of the grace of God and how great His depth is. Heaven's not to require some form of eternal amnesia. After all, Jesus Christ Himself was chosen to retain in His glorified body the scars. The scars in heaven. That will be there. It didn't ruin heaven for Him. (laughs) No, it'll make heaven much sweeter because what we see will be under the amazing grace of God as it will appoint to His perfect work. By the way, this makes hell more intolerable to remember in hell what happened on earth and the suffering. Adolf Eichmann, proud of all those lives he took, all those Jews... He'll not be leaping in joy in his suffering. He's not now. Third, third misconception. Being in heaven means if we do have questions, we'll get immediate answers. And and yet, notice what it says in the scripture here. Wait a little longer. Or for a time yet, it says in some translations. What about that hymn that says, And time shall be no more? Well, that was probably based on Revelation 10, 6 in the King James Version that says, There shall be time no longer. There is nothing wrong with that translation that there shall be time no longer, but you have to take it in the context. It is not a reference to that there will be no more time. Time will cease to exist. It is a reference to the fact there will not be a waiting period in God's judgment. That His judgments will continue without waiting. Matter of fact, in the NIV, it's translated, there shall be no delay. God will continue forth with His purposes. There's no delay in Him accomplishing His Perfect purposes. You see, Buddhism believes that eternity is the absence of time and it's a sort of nothingness, but not heaven. Heaven talks about the tree of life will yield its fruit every month. Well, how can you have a month if you don't have time to represent a month? You might say, well, if you don't have a sun and moon, how are you going to be able to tell each day and be able to keep a calendar. And yet Revelation twenty one twenty three says that there will be a new city of Jerusalem. There'll be no need of the sun or moon. Why? Because there'll be a new light. The glory of God will shine and bring forth each day His awesome glory. And a matter of fact, in heaven it talks about worshiping talks about singing and well you know to sing should be it's about timing got those 
I don't get all of it. Half notes, quarter notes, whole notes, eighth notes, sixteenth notes. Make a note. Unfortunately, like George says, sometimes I make the wrong note. I mean, you know, that that happens. But the picture here, in order for there to be glorious music that is glorious to God, it's in the right time. So there will certainly be time. You know, for now, it seems like time's always working against us. Man, when you're sitting in a dentist chair about to get a root canal, it goes too slow. Hurry up, let's get out of here. And then when you're with a dear friend you haven't seen in a long time and you're being together, it's just much too short. Man, I'd like to pack in another couple of weeks, not another couple of minutes. But there will be time as time is meant to be. All right, I've got to wrap this thing up here. These martyrs are told by God. You need to enjoy my blessings and my grace. I am God. I am the one who will bring the ultimate judgment. Trust in me and rest in me. But guys, that can only happen when we come to Jesus Christ. You know, the, the verse we so often quote in churches, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, or His one and only Son, that... Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The next verse says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. For the one who has believed in Jesus, God's only Son, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, verse 18, stands condemned already. It's not about, you know, I'll just wait and see what happens at the end. No. Without Jesus and the forgiveness He has earned at Calvary, you're already condemned. It's not about you will be condemned. You are condemned now. Take that serious. As we talked about these martyrs. Come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word we thank you for this testimony of these martyrs. And I just pray, oh God, that you would draw us to you. And if there is somebody here that is just not placed a confident trust in Jesus Christ and said, I, I am a sinner and I need to be forgiven. And Jesus is the only way to find that forgiveness. Enter my heart, Jesus. Make me new. Give me that new start. What a great time to do that now. Father, I pray if anyone here is there, may they have prayed in such a manner or, or pray now, Jesus, forgive me, enter my heart, make me new. Lord, as we have a time uh, to respond to you, we just ask that you move us according to your spirit. And Father, we'll trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.